0: Good morning. Can you hear me? Great. Um, yes, as pa- Pastor Tom said, I'm Pastor Sarah Carlin. I'm the arts and communications pastor here for those of you who might be newer to the church. Um, sometimes people look at me and go, where'd you come from? Well, I'm usually up there. Um, and for those of you who have wondered, where have you been lately? I was on a two-month sabbatical, so that was such a gift, and I just want to publicly thank Pastor Tom and the Elder Board and all of um, those who make it possible for us as pastors to take sabbaticals, because I can't, you can come and talk to me about that experience, but I can't even express enough in words how much of a blessing that is and what God can do in that. So I want to say thank you for that. And I also just, because I have the opportunity up here, there are a lot of people on Sunday mornings who make this service happen. And a lot of them are up in the tech booth, sound booth, computer, streaming, all sorts of stuff going on. People who put the slides together and the graphics together. And I just want to publicly give us an opportunity to thank them because they're not seen. So thank you to my team for what you do to make the services happen. We greatly appreciate you. Um, like I said, I was on sabbatical and it was such an awesome opportunity to spend the time with the Lord and I knew that I was going to be preparing for this particular sermon where I was going to get to talk about Jesus and like what better subject is there, right? (laughs) Luckily we get several weeks in the story to do this and so I began to pray, um, kind of toward the end of the sabbatical, you know, Lord start speaking to me so that I can just kind of see around me what it is you might want me to say. and. I started to just kinda of dive in as the sabbatical ended and kinda of just really dive into who Jesus was and what I felt like God was speaking to me. Sorry, I wasn't thinking about any of you at that point. And so it was such a blessing to me and I want you to know that the process of getting ready for this sermon, I have fallen in love with Jesus all over again. So I wanna to say to you, study Jesus's life. Study his ministry, study who he was, what he said, what he did, because it will make you fall in love with him all over again. And when you come to that place again, that realization it changes you. So, no matter how many times in our lives we do this, right? We come to these stories, we come to these scriptures, He can change us every time. So I just want to encourage you. I'm going to share a little bit today, just a tiny bit of what God has been revealing to me about his son, about Jesus, the man who came to be God with us. And um, it's going to be No Ordinary Sermon. My title is No Ordinary Man, and this is going to, I promise you, be No Ordinary Sermon because I really felt like there were some stories I needed to share with you from Scripture. And so I've invited some friends to do that for you today. What I'm here to do is to weave those stories together to help us see how Jesus was no ordinary man. So you may not hear actually a lot from me. I'm just connecting the dots for you today. I really hope that through these stories, through the scriptures, through the things that are said, you're gonna find Jesus again in a new way and love him all over again. So I hope you're ready for that journey with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you more and more each day that you sent your son to us. Jesus, thank you. I don't even know how to say the words anymore other than to just sit there and praise you. So we thank you that you're here with us right now. Would you reveal yourself to us? Would you speak to us? We thank you for being God with us. We know that you are. We ask that you would come this morning and speak. Amen. So during my sabbatical, I read a lot of books. You know how you get that stack of books you don't have time to read and you start going through. One of the books that I was reading in preparation, actually, for next semester I teach at ALCS, I teach drama, is a book called Acting in Faith. I'm a drama teacher, so it was on acting technique, but it's by a Christian professor named Michael Carey, and he was talking about um, traditional acting technique in relationship to the Christian faith, which is right up my alley. I was so excited. And as I read the introduction, I was reading kind of just where he was kind of setting the stage to talk about all this classic acting technique that we usually talk about as drama teachers and things. And he said something in the introduction, you know, just that little short chapter at the beginning, that just stopped me. And this is what he said. Jesus came to show us what God was like, but through his ministry and teachings, it's also evident that he came to show us how to be human again. And i Stopped and I read that again. Jesus came to show us what God was like, but through his ministry and teaching, It's also evident that he came to show us how to be human again And I don't know maybe you thought something like that, but I had never thought well Jesus came to show me be, how to be human That's never crossed my mind <laughs> And although mr. Carey went on to jump into acting technique and talk about many other things than that I stopped And that launched for me a search at the end of my sabbatical and now at the beginning of coming back the last couple of weeks toward the sermon of what does it mean for Jesus to show us how to be human again. And I just thought, you know, look at us as humans, as humanity, how do we think about ourselves? What do we think about that word human? I mean, there's so many people who have so many ideas of who Jesus was as a human. He was, some of them say he was a prophet. Some of them say he's a great teacher. Some of us say he's God. Um, C.S. Lewis' famous quote is that he's either a lunatic, a liar, or he's Lord. So there's all sorts of people who have opinions on who this man was as a human. No ordinary man. But then I thought, well, what does that mean for us? If he came to show us how to be human again, what is that all about? So that's what we're going to explore this morning. Um, I started out with the idea that, okay, what does it mean to be human? I looked at the story of creation. Because we're in this story series, I think it's great to continue to reveal and look at how God spoke to us through Scripture, through the stories he gave us. And so I went back to Genesis. And Genesis 1, 26 to 27, and verse 31 says this. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle and over the wild animals of the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in His image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female. He created them. God saw everything that He had made, and indeed, it was very good. God made humans to be in His image, and it was good. We're good. And we are, but then we stop and think. I look at myself, I look at our world, right? And I think, we're not that good. <laughs> we're not that good. I look at how people are unkind. I look at how people are selfish. I look at how I am unkind and how I am selfish. And I think, there's something wrong here because <laughs> I'm not good God made me in his image. He declared us good But what happened because we know more of the story, right? We know the story of Adam and Eve and Eve and of the sin entering the world. We know that sin came in and Corrupted the good Humans became corrupted through sin Romans 5:12 says therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death came through sin And so death has spread to all who have sinned. So we're not good. We're corrupted good. So where does that leave us? I just love the fact that God doesn't leave us where we're at. He never does. And as we go through Jesus, the stories of Jesus today, you're going to see that he never leaves anyone where they're at. So we move on to the story of Jesus. He sent someone, God with us, no ordinary man, to redeem us and restore us to be the humans that God intended us to be. Sin came through Adam, who was a man, and salvation came through Jesus, who was God as man. And so we look then at 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. See, Jesus sees humans differently than we do. We see the bad, we see the evil, we see the things that have happened, but he sees what the Father created us to be. The humans he created us to be, and he comes to see us, to see humanity differently. We have stories in the Gospels that show how Jesus did just that. Let's listen to two of them.
1: How could he have possibly known? I asked myself that question a thousand times, and still I'm no nearer an answer. Yet he did know, and there's no denying it. He knew who I was before I even told him. "'and what I wanted, despite my efforts to hide it. "'I'd scoffed when Philip first told me about him, "'pretended I wasn't interested. "'Nazareth, can anything good come from there? "'It was a stupid comment, I know. "'I should have known better. "'Understandably, Philip looked at me, "'surprised and disappointed. "'But I was interested. (laughs) "'Beneath the casual facade, the dismissive mast, "'I was itching to know more.' I was hungry, hungry to find purpose in the emptiness of life, hungry to find hope after the disappointments, hungry to find God in a way that actually meant something. And Jesus saw that. He recognized I was searching, almost as if he knew my every thought. There could be no pretending after that. No assumed indifference. I was spellbound, captivated by that man, certain that he was what Philip claimed, the Messiah, the embodiment of the law, the fulfillment of the prophets. And yet, wonderful though that was, it wasn't enough, barely skimming the surface. He was more than that. Not just a man, but sent from God, seeing with his eyes, speaking with his authority, working with his power. I came to faith in that moment. At least, I thought I did. It just wasn't quite so simple. That was the start, to be sure. The moment the seeds were sown, yet there was more to learn, more to see, and more to understand before the seeds began to grow. I dared to think I knew him before I'd even seen him. I thought I could judge him from the few things I'd been told. Yet now, even after years of serving years of listening and following, I realize how little I really know of the man who knew who knows me better than I know myself.
2: He had time for me, incredible, I know, but true. He saw beneath the surface, beneath the greed, selfishness, the corruption, and uncovered a person I didn't even know existed. I groaned when I saw him coming. I won't pretend otherwise. Another self-righteous prig coming to tell me my business. That's what I imagined. And I'd had my fair share of those. Well, nobody likes a tax collector, do they? but I'd always given as good as I got. I mean, it's not easy when you've got a wife and kids at home to feed. We all have to earn a living somehow. And since the only people ready to give me a chance were the Romans, what could I do? Or did any of them really believe that I enjoyed working for them? Anyways, someone had to do it, didn't they? So why not me? I suppose Jesus understood that, for he didn't criticize or condemn. None of the two-faced hypocrisy of the Pharisees, none of the usual accusing glances or obscene gestures, just those two lovely words, follow me. You could have knocked me over. It was the last thing that I expected, took the wind right out of my sails. But more than that, I was excited, moved, fascinated, because he had time for me. He hadn't written me off. He hadn't seen only the outside. He accepted me as I was, with all my sin sticking to me. And the funny thing is, once I did that, it was me who pointed to all my faults, not him. I felt ashamed, painfully aware of all that was wrong, longing to be different yet at the same time set free, forgiven, offered a new beginning. I followed, of course. What else could I do? Would you refuse a man like that? Well, perhaps you would, but I'm glad I didn't. Because despite everything since, the times that I've let him down, the occasions I've misunderstood, the mistakes I've made, the faults I still have, he goes he goes on accepting me day after day after day. Not for what I might become, but for
0: what I am. And so we see that Jesus when he called his disciples, when he stepped into ministry, when he stepped in and said I'm going to make these humans human again. He did something that no ordinary man had done, right? He, he knew Nathaniel. He accepted Matthew. He doesn't leave us somewhere. He knows what we're supposed to be, and he comes and he says, I know where you're at. I know that you're corrupted, but I'm gonna know you and accept you anyway. And then he doesn't leave us there either either. Because he had no ordinary mission as well. He didn't just come to no one except as he came to challenge our way of thinking, to give us a glimpse of how things are supposed to be, the way they could, the way they should be. The Gospels are filled with stories of Jesus teaching what it meant to be human again. Let's listen to three more stories.
3: He had a wonderful voice, a real joy to listen to. So clear, so deep, so nicely spoken. I felt I could have sat there all day letting his words wash over me. Good news for the poor, release for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind. Familiar, comfortable, reassuring words. Or so I'd always thought. Only this time they didn't sound quite as reassuring as they used to. I don't know what it was, but somehow as he spoke, they came to life, possessed of a power they had never held before, as if I were hearing the words for the first time. Only the prophet wasn't speaking to people long ago, but to me, here, now. Suddenly I didn't want to hear, didn't want to listen anymore, for the words were no longer what I thought they were but unexpected, discomforting, troubling words. They leapt at me and pinned me down. They lunged at me, piercing my very soul. They left me anxious, guilty, fearful, asking what they meant to someone like me, who was neither poor nor blind, but rich and free. I closed my ears, but still he spoke. And listening again, despite myself, I heard him say, a prophet is without honor in his own country. That was the end. Too much. The voice no longer seemed beautiful, but strident, no longer bringing joy, but rousing rage. For I realized this man came not to soothe, but to challenge, not to praise, but to question, not only to us, but to others, I rose in rage, cursing him for his blasphemy, calling for his death. Yet somehow, though all around me did the same, he walked straight by, unharmed, untouched. Don't ask me how, for I just don't know. But what I do know, deep down, much though I try to deny it, much though I try to ignore it, is that Jesus had been right to say, these words have been fulfilled today.
4: Can you believe what he told us? Love your enemies. That's what he said. Pray for those who abuse you. And if someone slaps you in the face, turn the other cheek well, I ask you, what sort of talk is that? He's on another planet, that fellow. Cloud Cuckoo Land. <laughs> oh, it sounds wonderful, granted. But can you see it working? I can't. No, we have to be sensible about these things. Realistic. We all like to be the world to be different. But it's no use in pretending, is it? Love your enemies. Where is that going to get us? They'll see us coming a mile off. And as for turn the other cheek, well, you can if you want to, but not me. Not me. I'll give them one back with interest. Either that or I'll run. I'll tell you what, though. We listened to him, all of us. Just about the biggest crowd I've ever seen. Hanging on to his every word, listening like I've rarely known people to listen before. Why? Well, you could see he meant what he was saying, for one thing, and the way he dealt with those hecklers and cynics, never losing his cool, never lashing out in frustration, ready to suffer for his convictions of, you know, if that's what it took. He practiced what he preached. And there aren't many of you who can say that about, are there? Like it or not, it's what his message, it's what his message said itself. That's a, it was a crazy message, so different from any we'd ever heard before. Impractical, unworkable, yet irresistible. It gave us a glimpse of what life could be, the way it should be, and he actually made us feel that one day it might be. No, I'm not convinced, it's sad to say, Life's just not like that, but I wish it was. I wish I had the courage to try this way, the faith to give it a go, for I've been trying the way of the world for as long as I can remember, and look where that's got us.
5: Ask, he said, and you'll receive. Just like that, or so at least it sounded, as though all we have to do is put in our request, place our order, and at the drop of a hat, it'll be there before us, served up on a plate exactly to our requirements. Do you believe that? I'm not so sure I do, and I'm not so sure I want to either, for if he really meant that, then where would it all end? And when could we ever stop asking? We couldn't, could we? Not while there's still suffering in the world, still need, sorrow, hunger, disease, despair. It wouldn't be right. A dereliction of duty, you might call it. And anyway, even if we could wipe those out, rid the world of its many ills, then wouldn't be the end of it, not by a long way, For there would always be something else to ask for. A gift we know we lack, a dream still unfulfilled, a person we long to reach. Always just one more favor before we could be completely satisfied. And it would end up with God at our beck and call, bowing to our every whim, dancing to our tune instead of us responding to his. So no, he couldn't have meant that. Could he? But what then? What was Jesus getting at? with this weird but wonderful promise. I've wrestled with that day by day, and I've began to wonder if maybe we're looking at it all the way wrong. Too much at self and too little at Jesus. Do not worry about your life, he told us, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. As for what matters... Isn't that what he was saying? For those things in life which can bring lasting happiness, treasures in heaven rather than pleasures on earth. It's not that this life was unimportant to him. He cared about the world's suffering more than anyone have ever known. But he came to tackle not simply the symptoms but the cause. Not just the way things look but the way they are. The way we think, the way we speak, the way we act, each transformed deep inside. I may be wrong, of course, but I think that's what he meant. Something like it anyways. Ask God for guidance, strength, faith, renewal. Ask him to teach, use, shape, forgive you. Ask for these things, earnestly, honestly, the gifts of his kingdom, and you will receive until your cup runs over.
0: And so he came with no ordinary mission. We heard him. The first reader read about being in the synagogue at Nazareth where he challenged everything they knew and said I am the one who will bring this about and then we hear the Sermon on the Mount we heard two people observe that Jesus wanted to change how we lived and how we even thought about how things were supposed to be in our world. Jesus' mission was to show us through his teaching, through this radical, unexpected, intentional teaching, that the way we were living was not how God intended. And he wanted to show us how to be human again. He wanted us to challenge what we were thinking, how we were living, and realize there was another way. And so he lived that way for us. He had not only was he no ordinary man with no ordinary mission, but he had no ordinary way of living. And he showed us how to live. Because if we could see him live how God intended, we would have an example of how we ourselves should live. And so we're gonna look at a couple more stories. I'm gonna, this is gonna be a little different, they're gonna share, and then I'm gonna say something, they're gonna share, I'm gonna say something. So it's gonna kind of rotate a little differently. So I'm gonna stay here, I'm gonna just pull back so you can still see them. But first we're gonna hear a story that's probably very familiar to all of you. This is known as the story of the woman at the well.
3: He was full of surprises, that man. From the moment I first met him, I thought he'd just push me aside like all the rest, either that or walk away with his head in the air. He was a Jew, remember, and I a Samaritan, and worse than that, a woman, alone. Yet he stayed where he was, a smile on his face, quite happy, apparently, to be associated with me. Well, call me suspicious if you like, but I wasn't sure what he was up to, so I asked him straight out, what's your game? He laughed at that. And then he offered me a drink of water. Or, at least, I thought that's what he was trying to do. I wasn't sure. You see, he had no bucket. And he could hardly shin down the well, now could he? So where was this water he was on about, and where was it meant to come from? To be frank, I suspected he was pulling my leg. But I was beginning to like him, despite the nonsense he talked. He had a nice way with him, a kind, gentle, a bit of all right in an unconventional sort of way. So I played along, wondering where it would lead. If only I'd known what an embarrassment it might have saved me. I'll never know how he guessed, but suddenly he he looked straight at me and for the first time, I noticed his eyes. They didn't undress you like so many men seem to do, but looked much deeper, almost as if into my very soul. And then he started talking about my lovers, my husbands, my past, every detail correct. It was uncanny, frightening, far too near the knuckle. So I tried to fob him off with some old chestnut about worship. But even then, he threw me none of the usual pat answers, but a response that reached right to the heart of the matter, cutting through all the trivia. And it was after that that he produced the biggest surprise of all. He told me he was the Messiah. I didn't know what to say, just stood there, gawping, flabbergasted. I mean, I realized he was a prophet, but the Messiah? couldn't be I told myself no way I went back down to the village seeking reassurance wanting someone to tell me that this guy was just another religious nutcase but they didn't they were curious wanted to see for themselves and when they heard him listened to his teaching they believed he was the Messiah me I still don't know but I wouldn't be surprised not if I was being honest Nothing would surprise me about him.
0: Jesus was unexpected and intentional in what he did. So we have this story of a foreigner who was living in sin. And we see how Jesus intentionally showed this woman how to be human again. By going deep with her, showing her what true intimacy really was, and that it involved him. It involved bringing life satisfaction through him, not through other means. He didn't stay distant. He didn't pull away. He got nearer to her and deeper with her. He shows us the way to true intimacy. He wants to do the same for us. Do you ever feel like a foreigner? Because I know I do. Sometimes I feel like nobody cares, nobody understands. Nobody sees me. Jesus wants to show us what true intimacy is. Intimacy with a love that is full of life, that satisfies and is wider and deeper than anything we can comprehend. Jesus also shows us an unexpected, intentional way of living in this next story. So let's listen to the story of Zacchaeus.
1: I only wanted to see him, that's all. Find out what all the fuss was about. I had no intention of getting involved. <laughs> Absolutely none. It was the last thing I wanted, the last thing I expected. I was simply curious. You understand that, right? I'd heard so much about him, the man who could perform miracles, forgive sins, change lives. He's the talk of the town. We all wanted to see him, everyone. But that was the trouble. The streets were packed the crowds ten, fifteen deep, I knew straight away I'd have no chance of getting any close, not even, given my size, so much a look in. It was the same old story. Poor old Zacchaeus, the butt of so many jokes over the years. Once again, missing out when the competition started. I'd grown used to it, even immune. But strangely, this time, it hurt. Even more than Before to be denied the opportunity of a little color in the drabness of life, all because God had been sparing with his inches. It seemed unfair. The final nail in the coffin, and I felt like lifting a fist to heaven and cursing my creator. But then, like a brainwave, why not climb a tree, I thought and brilliant a grandstand view there he was just below me as clear as day well you can imagine i was pleased it was to be my claim to fame to proud boast that at least i could make men look up to me i'd seen jesus only then he saw me i hadn't bargained on that I simply expected him to walk by, maybe a smile or a wave, but no more. And he stopped. He smiled and spoke. I was dumbfounded, unable to take in for a moment what he was saying. And when it finally registered, I couldn't believe it. He wanted to visit my home, share a meal with me, Zacchaeus bit of a cheek really inviting himself over like that but I couldn't say no with the crowd and all they weren't pleased I can tell you that always considered me a mean old so-and-so tight-fisted two-faced swindler and let's face it I was but this was my chance to show them I could push the boat out once in a while, so I hurried down to welcome him. Trouble was, one thing led to another, and before I knew it, I was letting my heart rule over my head, paying back all the things I defrauded four times over and giving away half my stuff to the poor. (sighs) A moment's madness? Maybe. But that was what Jesus did to people. He made you want to be different, to be like him. I've regretted my impulsiveness now a couple of times. I won't pretend otherwise, but I wouldn't change anything given that time again. For though I'm poor materially now, I'm really a lot richer than I ever dreamed I would be.
0: Here's Jesus with an unprincipled businessman who was hated by everyone, who worked for people who everyone hated, and Jesus invites him over to his house. I mean, that's pretty unexpected and intentional. He invites himself over to dinner. He didn't walk away. He reached out into Zacchaeus's life, on his terms, in his house where he was safe, and he was comfortable. And he invited him to change. Zacchaeus got to see that Jesus was different. And Jesus shows us the way to change. The way to be just like him. And he wants to do the same for us. Do you feel like people hate you? <laughs> because you're in a place where Jesus can't possibly find you. Where you can't fathom things from being different than they currently are. I've been there. But Jesus makes us like him. And sometimes that's even painful, that prayer. Hey, Jesus, make me like you. And we don't realize that that means he's actually going to do it. He's actually going to change us and it might hurt. The circumstances might look awful around us. But he doesn't even leave us there. He walks into our suffering and our pain with us because he's suffered. He's felt pain. He reaches out. He invites us. He invites himself into our lives, our homes, where we are, where we're comfortable, and what he does is he changes us. He makes us different, makes us like him. He's showing us how to be human again. Let's look at this next story. This is a story of a Roman centurion.
4: They thought I was mad when I sent for him like that. A small deputation, meekly appealing for help. Why ask, they said, when I could command? Why waste time with polite requests when you have to only say the word and it's done? And of course, they had a point, for I had the power, had I wished to use it. To compel Jesus to come, whether he wanted to or not. I was a Roman soldier, remember. A centurion to boot, one of the ruling elite. A man of authority, used to having his own way. Yet it wasn't that simple, not this time. I knew it even before I met the man, from all the accounts I had heard of him. I could command my men, win their trust, their respect, their allegiance, but I couldn't win their souls. Not as Jesus had won the heart and soul of the multitude. I could fight with the best of them, no battle too fierce for me, no enemy too strong, But I couldn't take on the forces of evil, the powers of darkness, still less hope to rout them as he was doing. I could build up or tear down, keep peace or make war, but I couldn't restore the broken hearted, heal the sick or raise the dead as he had done. He spoke with authority. I could never hope to equal, acted with power. No person alive could ever begin to match. And to be honest, I was in awe of him. There's no other word for it. Conscious that he was no ordinary man, but one sent by God, before before whom and beside whom I was as nothing. I had no claim on his mercy, no reason to expect his help. It was all down to him, his goodness, his grace, and he didn't disappoint me. My servant restored to health even as we spoke. Was my face so very special? It didn't feel like it at the time, despite what he said. But if you think it was, Let me tell you its source, for there's no secret. I saw what I could do. I saw what he had done. I saw what needed doing, and I put them together as simple as that. The rest was down to him.
0: Simple as that. He saw what he could do and what Jesus could do, and he realized that Jesus could do what he could not. I mean, he was a member of the oppressive political party, right? He had authority. He could do anything, but he could not heal. Jesus intentionally did what this man could not do for himself, but recognized that Jesus could do. Jesus shows us the way to healing, and he wants to do that for all of us. Is there something in your life you've been trying to fix or figure out? (laughs) And you're doing it in your own effort, in your own power and authority? Is there something in this world, in this country, in your circumstances that you long to see healed, but you don't know what to do? I feel that way every day when I look at the world around me. So we need to come to the one who can do something, the one who does have authority, the one who can heal and have faith, that it's not what, about what we can do, but that Jesus came to make us human again, and make all of humanity human again. Here's another story, a story of a woman caught in adultery.
5: I expected him to condemn me like all the rest, to shake his head in disgust and send me to death. Just another self-righteous, busybody, that's what I thought. You know the sort. The kind up in their soapbox sounding off about something or another, telling folk how they ought to live their lives. Not that it mattered much at the time. For there was no getting away from it. I'd broken the law. Caught, as they say, well and truly in the act. No way anyone could ever get me out of this, even though I wished to. And you could see from the smug look on the Pharisees. They felt the same way. Lips twisted with contempt, eyes glittering with hatred, their hands positively itching to pick up the first stone and strike me down. It was just a matter of time. A question of contemplating the necessary formalities before the verdict was given. So I cowered there, trembling, waiting for the fateful signal for them to begin, expecting each moment to be my last. I waited, and I waited. Sweat trickling down my brow, limbs shaking in terror. But it didn't happen. No word, no sign, nothing. What could it mean? A reprieve? Surely not. But what then? Some heartless trick to prolong my agony? An unforeseen last-minute technicality? Or simply a pause while they gathered all the stones to stone me? There was one, only one way to find out. So I looked up, tense, fearful, then stopped, transfixed, catching my breath in astonishment, for we were alone, just the two of us, me and Jesus, not another soul to be seen. I thought I was dreaming for a moment. Either that or the stoning had dispersed me, unbeknown to another life. But then he spoke. His eyes gentle yet piercing as he voiced my unspoken question. Women, where are your accusers? They were gone, each one of them. None able, apparently, to throw the first stone. And even as I struggled to take it in, he spoke again, those marvelous, memorable words. Neither do I condemn you. I should have danced for joy, shouldn't I? whooped for delight, laughed in exultation, for I was free, not simply reprieved, but forgiven, invited to go back and start again. But I didn't laugh. I broke down in tears, the sobs confusing my body, tears streaming down my face, for suddenly faced by this astonishing man, I saw myself for who I really was and became my own accuser. I'd expected death and been given life, feared judgment and been shown mercy. What had seemed to be the end had suddenly become a new beginning, and it was just too much to take in. Not anymore, though. I understand now what he's done for me, and I look back, still to this day, with wonder. My whole being throbbing with praise, for he met me in my need and made me whole. He saw me at my worst and expected the best.
0: Jesus saw her. He didn't see her with the eyes that other men had of lust or condemnation. He just really saw her. Jesus forgave her, and he shows us the way to forgiveness and wants to do the same for us. Do you feel like people only see your sin and they don't see you or understand you? I can't tell you how many times I've felt that way. But Jesus sees us, he really sees us, not how others do. He sees us as the humans God created us to be and he does not condemn but he loves and shows us the way to forgiveness. He doesn't allow us to stay in that broken state. He restores us to God who made us to be fully human. We have one last story and we're about to go into communion. So I'm gonna invite the worship team to start coming up as well. This is the story of one of the little children who Jesus spoke to.
6: I was scared at first, scared of the noise, the crowds, the confusion, a sea of faces unlike anything I'd ever seen before. It seemed like everyone wanted to see Jesus. Everyone, that is, except for us. We just wanted to get back to our friends and enjoy ourselves as we've been doing before. Who was he anyway? That's what we wanted to know. What made him so important, so special? Yet there was no use arguing. One look on my mother's face told me that she was determined that I was going to see him whether I liked it or not. So there we were pushing through the crowd her hand clasping mine, in case I should have any ideas about escaping, and slowly, fear turned to rebellion. Okay, I'd go if I had to, but if she imagined I was gonna play the sweet, innocent child, she could think again. I resolved instead to give Jesus an audience he won't forget in a hurry, to scowl, sulk, scream the place down if I had to. Anything to make clear whose idea this daft business was. Yet, that's not the way it worked out. I had this guy already, all right. A sullen snarl to be proud of. But the moment I saw him, it just all melted away. All hostility and resentment forgotten. I can't tell you why exactly. But there was something quite extraordinary about him. An interest, warmth, and concern which seemed to flow over you, impossible to resist. Instead of treating us like kids, he made us feel important, as though we were real people, worth something to him, special. And suddenly, instead of sulking, we were beaming with sheer delight. Even, would you believe, when he picked us up and started to pray for us, There's not many people I'd have let do that, I can tell you. He was so different from the rest of those with him. You could tell they were itching to get rid of us. Yet, do you know what Jesus said to them? That the kingdom of God belongs to children like us. I can't think why, for we were no angels, not by a long way. And I can't imagine he was under any illusions. But... I'll tell you what though, we'd have followed him anywhere after that. Walked to the ends of the earth and back if he had asked us. No, we didn't understand quite who he was or what he'd come to do, but that didn't matter. We knew instinctively that that he was someone special, a man we could trust completely with our very lives if necessary. And that was enough. What more could anyone have wanted? What more could anyone ask?
0: And so Jesus came to show us our worth. Us who are lesser and make us feel human again. We're going to conclude with communion today. And in that process, we are going to remember that Jesus came to make us human again. And he came to show us how to live that so that we could become no ordinary men and women with no ordinary mission, who live no ordinary lives and take no ordinary role in the story. He's asked us to take on the role of human in his grand story. So he came to share no ordinary story with us and make us a part of that story. Because of the time, we're going to just allow you to come down, the worship team is just gonna worship and go into continued worship. We just invite you to come And get communion and stay here and worship. If you need to leave, that's okay too. And we just want to spend this time remembering what Jesus came to do. Maybe he spoke to you today through one of these people who he spoke to long ago. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing Jesus to us, who is no ordinary man with no ordinary mission, who had no ordinary way of living And all of that came to make us human again. In this time, as we take the bread and as we take the cup, we remember what you did and how you came. We want to be human again, fully living humans, taking a role in the story you have and helping others to see what it means to be human again as well. We thank you, Jesus, for your death on the cross shedding of your blood, the breaking of your body so that we might become human again. We ask that you continue to help us know what it means to be human and live in you. Amen.